All right, Salt City, my name's Jordan, if you don't know me. And uh, yeah, if you're new to our church, uh, there was literally a, a busload of new people that drove in in the back. Shout out to you guys. I was sitting next to them, so we're friends now. Literally a busload of family that drove in, and you drove into a controversial topic series. So today we're talking about politics. Yeah, there's, there's like 10 people that don't understand why that was a joke that are genuinely like, yes, let's go. And then there was a sarcastic, yeah, from Tim, which is... Honestly, like, how the majority of us are feeling, right? Like, when, when I say the sentence, hey, let's talk about politics, do you sort of feel, like, similar to when you get food poisoning? Because <laughs> I do. Like, I, when we got this sermon series, I was honestly not that excited about this talk because... I, well, one, I mean, it, it can just be hard to talk about this and figure out how to find common ground, but I'm not as worried about that. Mostly, I just am kind of apolitical. Just personally, I honestly just don't care that much. Uh, but I feel like I've grown a lot over the last couple weeks as I've been studying for this and have, in a fresh way, discovered what it means to be a Christian and why it's important for me to engage, even if I don't want to. That, that Jesus, in calling me to himself, has called me to be influential in this world. And this is one of the tools that we have to be influential. And so if you're one of those people that is just like not about this, I just want to ask you, would you just kind of lean in? I, I feel like God has taught me a lot through his word, and, and I'm hoping he'll do the same thing. So yeah, let me, let me jump into this. So I got to tell you something. If you are a Democrat you might be sitting next to a Republican right now. If you're a Republican, you might be sitting next to a Democrat. Okay, so here's what's true. As I was prepping for this and I was trying to think through what would be helpful to you, it was hilarious thinking about our audience because this is the reality of this church and likely most rooms that you're walking into, most churches, is there are some of you who voted for Trump here and there's some of you who voted for Hillary. And if you're honest with yourself, when President Obama was elected in 2008, some of you, it kind of felt like the world was ending. And when President Trump was elected, for some of you, it kind of felt like the world was ending. But here's what I want to tell you, is on both sides of that kind of political aisle are people who are thoroughly biblical and deeply love Jesus. Because it's, it's completely possible to be biblically faithful and to come to different conclusions on the best party, the best uh, candidate, the best political philosophies that you land on. Now, it's hard for some of you to believe that. It's genuinely hard for some of you to believe that there can be a Christian perspective that looks very different from your own. Similar to it's, it's hard for some of the U of M students to believe that there might be Christians in Madison, Wisconsin, right? <laughs> It's similar to that. It's, it's difficult for you to think that there might be a different perspective than yours. And if you think that your political conclusions are essentially the only legitimate Christian uh, conclusions, I think it's almost certainly true that you've become overly attached to your political ideology. And that that political ideology has almost become like gospel to you. That the, the lines between the gospel and Christianity and politics have sort of become blurred in your life. 
Okay, so if you watch a basketball game at any level, high school, pro, whatever, there's a few things that you will inevitably see. And here's one of the things that you will inevitably see is someone arguing with a call, right? Like you watch the playoffs, it's after almost every call somebody gets mad. Here's what's crazy to me about that is you can have two people from, uh, that are rooting for different teams that look at the exact same play. They can even look at it in slow motion, look at the exact same play and come to two radically different conclusions about whether it was a foul or not. Why? Not because they're looking at something different, but because you see the world through the glasses of the team that you're rooting for, right? Like there is no possible way that your player would foul someone. You would never do that, right? And so people can be completely convinced that they're looking at the exact same facts and what they believe is factual, but it's actually been influenced by their preconceived notions. That's called the confirmation bias. And I think that same thing can happen to us with politics and the Bible, where we can come to the scripture with preconceived political notions about what we believe to be true, and we can start to read the Bible through that lens and start to confirm what we already believed. But this is what, if anything, I think we have to do this morning, I think we have to do as Christians, is that we've got to start paying attention first and foremost to what the Bible says and let that conform our political philosophies. We need to come back to filtering our politics through the Bible, not filtering the Bible through our politics. And, and this is what I've learned, and I've, I've tried to think of every like, verse that I could think of that is either directly about politics or could relate to politics, and just start to think about and study those. And this is what I've learned in thinking through that, is that the Bible absolutely, yes, has some things that are non-negotiably true about uh, what a Christian's view on politics should be. That is true, but there is as much, if not more, that we can find in the scripture about our character, our attitude, and our hope as they relate to politics. In other words, that the Bible talks both about what we should believe politically, but equally as much about the way we should believe it, how we should believe it, our character. And so that's actually where I want to focus on today. Now, I will hit a couple of those things that I believe to be non-negotiables for Christians, but I want to focus mainly on the way that we should believe things politically. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple gospel perspectives, big picture views about who Jesus is and what the gospel is, and then I want to take that and I want to say, what does that have to say about politics? So here's the first one, gospel lens number one is that we are image bearers. We are image bearers. And I'll be kind of jumping around to, to different texts all throughout the Bible, so feel free to, to try and catch up with me if you want, or jot down the scriptures. You can go back and read them later, but uh, I will also read them to you, the ones that I'm referencing. So first one, we are image bearers. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, that in and of itself is amazing. Don't, don't gloss over that because that's become familiar. This is what he just said, is that human beings have incredible dignity, value, worth, and significance. That's part of the message of Christianity, is that God has endowed us with significance, not only Christians, but all human beings, that we care, carry a little bit of the image of the divine. We reflect him. Let's keep going. 
So he says, we're created in his image, and he says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so the mere fact that we're made in God's image has massive political implications that we'll get into, but I also want you to notice that imaging God is connected with the call to exercise dominion over the earth. Why? Why are those two things connected? Because God made us to establish his authority in the earth. And in other words, image bearing is not just an adjective, it's a verb. Okay, so if English is hard, it's hard for me. Here's what I mean by that. Image bearing is not just a descriptor of who we are. It is that, but it's more than that. It's something that you do in the earth. You establish his authority across the earth. So this is, this is wild. God makes everything in the beginning and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's perfect and then he does this thing that seems crazy but is all a part of his perfect plan is that he gives us authority and rule over and he says hey rule in my name in other words he creates a shiny new ferrari and then he tosses us the keys and says drive kid and and now you know that that didn't go super well right like we drove that thing into a telephone pole pretty quickly we fell But that doesn't mean that that authority, that vision for what it looks like to live as children of God has been removed from us. Okay, so what does that have to do with politics? I'm not saying this is a directly political verse. I want to be clear on that. But I do think it relates to politics because of this. We should exercise our dominion through several tools that God has given us. One of those tools is politics. It's not the primary tool, the gospel, the church, the Great Commission, those are the primary tools, but a secondary tool is politics, which means that we should engage politically as Christians, whether we want to or not. The goal of politics should be to establish God's order, goodness, and justice throughout the earth. Let me say that again. The goal of politics should be to establish God's order, goodness, and justice throughout the earth. Okay. So what does that practically look like? Let me give you just some uber practical scriptures about what it looks like to engage politically to establish God's goodness and justice. The first one is this, a little surprising actually, how prominent this is in scripture, that we should submit to our governing authorities. The main place we find this is Romans 13, but it's actually located other places. But let me read you Romans 13, Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the the governing authorities, for there is no authority from God. uh, Sorry, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We are to submit to our political or governing authorities authorities because that is a way that we submit to God. Or if we reject the authority of our governing authorities, we're also rejecting the authority of God. The two are connected, which means that your actions and your attitudes towards the governing authority in your life are directly connected to Jesus's lordship in your life. If you reject the authorities in your life, you're also rejecting, in a sense, him. And so what what does that mean practically? Well, one of the things that means practically is we should obey the law. For example, if you're under 21, you shouldn't drink. 
And even if you don't understand that, even if you, if you don't really get that law, that's actually irrelevant to what this is saying. This is saying that God put that rule in place for your good, and even if you don't understand it, trust him instead of trusting your own views of the world. And it's not just that. That's one we typically throw out. But for Christians, we should obey the law in essentially every facet that we can. The way that Romans 13 specifically applies this is it says, hey, pay your taxes, So here's what's true, is regardless of what your philosophy on taxes is, we're not going to get into that, as a Christian, you should pay your taxes. And not only pay your taxes, I think you should pay them willingly and joyfully, even if you would advocate for a little bit different philosophy on taxes. That's from Romans 13. Now here's an objection that I often hear is is this, but rulers are corrupt, Okay, that is, that is absolutely true. And I'm not saying that we as Christians must submit to rulers in every circumstance, even if they tell us to do something unbiblical. That's not true. But I want to point something out. When Paul wrote this, the emperor at the time was Nero. So I don't know if you know anything about Nero, but as this letter was circulating among the Christians where Paul was telling them to submit to their authorities, Nero was systematically persecuting Christians. He like lost it at some point and set Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians for it. I don't, I don't care how bad the governing authorities are, it's not that bad. So we can submit, why? Because we trust that Jesus is actually on the throne, not that person right? We'll come back to that. But another way that we can play this out practically is that we honor and pray for our leaders. It says in 1 Peter to fear God and honor the emperor. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 talks about praying for our leadership. It says this, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, first of all then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay, regardless of what you think about President Trump, do you honor him with your speech and do you pray for him? If there was a a Democratic candidate elected tomorrow, would you honor and pray for that candidate? Do you honor and pray for our local governing authorities? If you know anything about them, learn a little bit and pray for them. If you do and you don't like it, pray for them and honor them. Okay, this is not what I'm saying. I am not saying that we as Christians must endorse everything that a political candidate or party does. We also need to have a backbone and stand up for what's true. Jesus did. And so when we see evil in the world, we absolutely should stand up against it. Now, it's hard to always define that. Sometimes it's hard to filter through what is just against your own views and what is biblical, but there are certain things that are just inevitably true biblically, and we should stand up for those truths. But we should stand up for those truths with honor and with prayer. There's a way to disagree and be honorable and not engage in sort of bickering the way that our culture does. Which brings me to kind of the the last one of this set, is that we should not be quarrelsome. So 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Does that sound like politics? A little bit. Foolish, ignorant controversies. 
You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Let me ask you this. Could the way that you engage in politics or in discussions about like hot button issues within our culture, race or gender or whatever, whatever you want that to be, some of the movements that we're seeing in culture, could the way that you engage in those things be described the way that this text describes Christians? Could it be described as not quarrelsome, kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil, and gentle? Does that describe you in the conversations that you're having? Here's why that would be amazing is because if we were willing to engage in that manner, we would look different than our culture and it would be beautiful. Here's what's going on in our culture is we're in the middle of outrage culture where people divide up on sides and yell at each other, right? Like I I hate strategy board games, but, and I'm sorry, Paul, I know you love them, but I, I hate them, but There's a strategy board game that I played where you play against the board. You're all on the same team and you're working against the board. That's what politics was supposed to be. We were all supposed to be on the same team working against the chaos and evil in the world. But what happened is somewhere along the line, we started playing dodgeball. So we drew a line down the middle. We separated into two sides and we just hurl insults at each other. And we spend the whole time focusing on each other, throwing insults back and forth and just trying to dodge them or throw them, right? What if we were different than that? What if we didn't get caught up in the outrage culture? But why? Why is it so tempting for us to get caught up in that? Because in the moment, we're more concerned about being right than we're concerned about the person sitting across from us. We're more concerned about proving our argument than leading someone to know Jesus. The people that you're having these conversations with, a lot of them don't know Christ. And I've talked about this before. We are not in a war with the culture We are not trying to beat the culture. We are trying to win them to Jesus. We're trying to demonstrate to them that there is a Savior that they have access to the same way that we have access to him. Remember Drew's sermon on preferences, on laying down your preferences in love. Your political views are a prime time opportunity to lay down those preferences, to get to talk to someone about Jesus, to genuinely listen to them and engage with them. So what are just a couple quick hit practicals that that could look like one stop posting stuff on social media I like it might be an appropriate context sometimes but the vast majority of the time it's not helpful quick sound bites are not convincing anyone make less arguments ask more questions be quick to speak be quick to listen slow to speak (laughs) anyway Make less arguments, ask more questions, actually get to know the opposing views, understand where they're coming from, and you can better engage with them. I'm not saying you have to agree. I'm saying that you have to respect them as image bearers. They carry the divine image and are therefore worthy of your dignity and respect. Okay, let me apply this to certain hot button issues. Okay, this is about to get a little real. Just acknowledge with me that I don't have time to fully unpack this stuff, okay? Like some of these things would be entire sermons, so I am not coming close to saying everything that needs to be said, okay? Abortion. This is a non-negotiable issue for Christians. 
Here's what we believe, is that all human beings are created in the image of God and are fearfully, wonderfully made and designed in their mother's womb. So we as Christians, even though this is becoming increasingly culturally difficult, we need to stand up for the rights of unborn children. And we need to be willing to do that even when it's really difficult culturally. Now, I know some of you in this room lean more pro-choice, or some of you have maybe had an abortion. I want to clarify what I didn't just say. I think there's some unfortunate arguments that people throw around. One of them being that we should essentially forbid abortion to shame people for the lifestyle that they've lived. Okay, that is not the argument I'm making. That's not a Christian argument. All I'm saying is that that child is created in the image of God and their rights deserve to be defended. It's about the child. And my rights cease when they inflict on the rights of another human being, another image bearer. But what is also true is the woman considering abortion or who had one is also an image bearer, worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And we as Christians should walk through that very challenging circumstance with them and acknowledge the fact that there's complex complex familial, economic, and social implications for what they're weighing through and that it's incredibly hard. And even if we disagree, we can still treat them with honor and respect and be the church to them and invite them into our community instead of ostracizing them from our community. Racism. This is a clear biblical issue that God made all people in his image. And that race is actually a beautiful thing. That people who are different are created in the image of God, worthy of respect, and that one day every tribe, nation, and tongue will worship him together. Okay, that is just true. That's a non-negotiable biblically. But how should we engage in this conversation? By listening and respecting and understanding people with different viewpoints from our own, even when we find them offensive. By hearing what they have to say and engaging with them, and by offering the solution, not just talking about the problem, We have the solution in Christ that the dividing wall has been torn down. That there is an opportunity now for unity that we didn't have before and to offer people that beautiful solution regardless of their background or skin color. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about the 1% and poverty. Okay, the 1%. If you tend to kind of hate on the 1%, Let me tell you this, there are people in the 1% absolutely who are greedy. And there are people in the 1% who are far more generous than you are, or I am. The 1% are made in the image of God and are worthy of your respect. People who are poor are made in the image of God and are worthy of your respect and should be treated no differently than any other person. And it's a non-negotiable to think about the implications of that politically. Now, you might land differently on how you go about that. You might not see certain things as the government's role, and that's a legitimate Christian perspective, but you have to engage with it politically. It's not an option to sort of just push it to the sides. Let me move on to our second gospel lens. Second gospel lens, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. 
why is this so hard? Why, why is this conversation so polarizing? There's a few things that you just can't talk about at Thanksgiving, right? And this is one of them, which if you think about it is kind of odd, right? It's, it's just how we rule our country. Yeah, there's some disagreements, but we all disagree about a lot of things and it doesn't get this heated. So what's going on? Well, I think it's because politics is not just politics. There's something more going on underneath If there's one thing that we essentially all can agree on politically, it's this. That there's something wrong with the world. That this world is not the way that it ought to be. That there's something in us that's craving more than what we see in this world. And we want so badly to fix it. And we all see the cracks in the foundation. Now, we might have disagreements on what those cracks are or how to fix them. But we all know that they're there. And we can't help but long for a world that we don't yet have. We can't help but hope for something that is better than what we're experiencing right now. How does every kid's book end? And then they lived happily ever after. Why? Because that plays at something in our hearts that even children know. That there should be a happily ever after coming. And that that's how the story should end, not in this tension and conflict in which we live. So here's what's true is we've correctly identified that there's a problem. That there's cracks in the foundation of our world. But we, I think, have wrongly identified the solution to that problem. We tend to run to our political views. Or if not our political views, if you're, if you're not as political, our, our social views about social issues or, or our certain little sort of soapbox moralities, we tend to run to those things. And, and here's what happens is those perspectives become overly elevated in your life and they kind of take on a life of, of their own and they become a vision a vision of what the world ought to be, the, the plan for living happily ever after. Right? If, if your political philosophy or social philosophy could just exist, or if your candidate could come into office, then everything would be okay. Then your vision for flourishing would come onto the earth. And so this is what happens is our political ideology or our morality or our social perspective quickly becomes not just an idea or our philosophy, it becomes our hope. And subtly, politics begin to push Jesus out as the hope for the world. Okay, there will be a Tuesday night in November 2020 when most of us will be glued to our TV screens watching the results of a presidential election. And it'll be a split screen, right? And on one side of the screen will be one group of people and on the other side of the screen will be a group of people who are actually quite similar but feel like they're very much different. And at some point, a result will be announced, and on one side of the screen, balloons will fall, and people will celebrate all throughout the night. And on the other side of the screen, people will weep. Why? Because on one side of the screen, people feel like all of their hopes and dreams have come true. Their vision for the good life has now happened. And on the other side of the screen, people's functional God just died. And as they watch their candidate kind of fade into the background, their hope also begins 
to fade. Here's what idolatry does. Putting something else in the place of God and looking to that thing for our hope. Here's what it does is it produces out-of-control emotions. It produces these harsh reactions because it's not just an event that took place, but hope was gained or hope was lost. Where do you see out-of-control emotions in your life? In particular, where do you see yourself getting overly fired up or maybe overly happy and overly celebrating on certain issues that are not foundational issues? Those things are not our hope. Our hope is in a new king. King Jesus, who is the true ruler and hope giver in our world and who has invited us in to be citizens of his kingdom. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Did you hear that? But we are now citizens of heaven. You are not primarily a U.S. citizen. You are primarily a citizen of heaven. You have a visa in the United States. Your passport says heaven. So so here's what that means is when you're pricked, you don't bleed Republican. You don't bleed Democrat. You bleed heaven. Your hope for the world is not found in your political or social ideas, but on the bedrock that is your, the future reign of Jesus Christ and you getting wrapped up into that reign with him and you reigning with him forever. It goes back to the beginning, right? He reestablishes that authority and you establish his goodness and his justice into the world forever. That is your hope. Jesus is the king. And no one can take away his throne. He'll never be thrown out of office. He will never have a scandal or be unrighteous. He will always bring goodness to the earth. And he will use the rulers in this place, even the bad ones, for his purposes. So I want you to imagine a like class president election for fifth graders. I don't think that's a thing. I think you only do that in high school, but in this analogy, it's a thing. So class president election for fifth graders. And there's this certain fifth grader that runs for president on the slogan, let them eat pizza. Because at the end of the day, that's really what fifth graders want, right? And so he, he gives his stump speech, which is essentially, you will eat pizza every day if I'm elected. And so what happens? He gets elected, right? And he, and he goes up to the microphone to give sort of his acceptance speech. And he says, pizza every day for lunch. And what's happening in the background is the principal is sitting there shaking his head like, oh, kid, that's cute. Why? Because he knows that ultimately wouldn't be good for the kids, and he knows that's not going to happen. And so at the end of the day, what happens? Do they eat pizza every day for lunch? No. Why? Because it's a fake position that that fifth grader is holding, and he's making fake promises. The principal is the one who's actually in charge. That's what's true of our world. Is our political leaders, 
They are not the ones at the end of the day calling the shots. Jesus is the one sitting on the throne. And when they make empty promises that they actually can't fulfill because they don't know the future, they're not omniscient and they're not all powerful, God himself is sitting there on the throne taking care of things behind the scenes. And one day he will be revealed fully on his throne and we will all realize that he is king. And so we trust him. We trust him regardless of what's going on in our world. We trust him no matter what happens politically because Jesus is on the throne. So we do not lose hope. And so what that means is that 2020 can look different for us because our hope will not be gained or shattered on that night. We already have our hope secure in Christ. So we live as people who already have their hope. It means that we have an untouchable contentedness. We are not shaken. We are not afraid. We are not consumed by the things our culture is consumed by. Let me finish by reading you Isaiah 9, which is this beautiful picture of the government of Jesus Christ, the never-ending reign of Jesus. So just listen into these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad When they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Let me pray. Oh, thanks for that promise, Jesus. I love that you're the king. I love that you're in control. I don't know what's best. God, I, I, try, I try to do my best. I try to come to wise conclu- conclusions about what to do politically and how to live in the world, but I, I ultimately, at the end of the day, don't know, but you do. When we're freaking out, when we're unsure, you sit at peace on your throne in the universe and we trust you. And we believe, God, we believe that your government will never end, that your reign will be forever and that it'll be good. And we're thankful that we get to be a part of your kingdom and we look forward to that kingdom being realized on this earth. We look forward to that day. And in the meantime, help us to trust you, to not lose hope, but be people filled with hope, And help us to treat other image bearers with the respect that they deserve. Thanks so much for everything that you've done for us. Amen.